Ungefragt. Hello everyone, this is You've Got 5 Options, a radio show where we prove that 5 is a magic number. Our experts will give you 5 tips on how to make your private or professional life better. We will solve your life challenge by giving you 5 different options to choose from. And our guests will answer 5 exciting questions while life on Earth. Tune in and feel the magic of five. Hello everyone, this is Marta and this is Anna and this is You've Got Five Options show. Yes, and we are not in the radio station because we are... Where are we, Marta? We are actually in Lego. Our today's guest is Morten, uh, who is uh, who has invited us here to make an interview with him. And this is a quite, I would say, um, unusual situation. This is the first time we are in the field, Marta, isn't it? Yes, it's the first time we are out there in the world. We are here and uh, guys, if you hear us differently, that is probably because we are not recording on our usual equipment. We actually have something that is called Tascam and that wonderful device is supposed to allow us to record this program remotely. So, yeah. Yes. So, we are here with Martin Bonde. Uh, sorry if I am not pronouncing it's, it. That's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty. pretty close. And uh, we are going to have quite a discussion today, quite an important topic. Mm-hmm. We are going to discuss finding the essence of who you really are when you're losing your sight. And uh, it's pretty amazing because Martin, who is sitting here with us and who will finally get to say something in a little while, he's working at Lego and is uh, actually having quite a serious disease. And uh, Martin, will you tell us what it is, what is the condition that you actually have? Yes. And hello. And thank you for yeah. having me or uh, coming here. Thank you for it letting was, uh, us in. It was nice uh, yeah. that you could uh, make the trip and get here. Yes, uh, I have a kind of a rare eye disorder that is called retinitis pigmentosa. And um, I think there's about, there are about uh, 1,200 to 1,500 people in Denmark who has that disease or disorder. And um, what that disorder does is that it slowly um, turns off the cells in the eye, the retina, that is the place where light comes in and is being trans, uh, transformed into electrical signals into the brain. And that's, that's something wrong. There's a gene there that doesn't function. So from when I was about uh, 29, I was uh, diagnosed with the disease. And then I, I think that over 15 years, my vision has gradually decayed so, um, so now I'm, not, I'm down to having about four degrees of central vision. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, looking through a little, little hole. And when you look at people from about uh, one and a half meters uh, distance, you, you only see you know, very small parts of, the, of their faces. So it's a, it's a weird thing because, you know, when you meet me, you would probably never notice that I have this uh, visual impairment. Correct. 
that's yeah, the yeah, that's the, that's a strange thing. But that's also the hard thing because then it get it gets very difficult for people to you know sort of, sort of you know reach out and help because I can sometimes maybe just look as if I'm thinking about something, I'm wondering about something, and then people won't go over to you and say, "Can I help?" But but maybe I'm just simply looking for that door handle or where mm-hmm. to uh, to turn on the. Uh, the light or or something like that so uh, that's so it's very I have to ask people for help yeah. because I'm not wearing any signs I'm not wearing a badge or a cane or anything that would normally give me up for as a as a visual impaired person yeah. so so that's a pretty um, that's a that's pretty a paradox. unique that's yeah. a pretty unique thing so I guess now guys you know why we are here in the first place it's because more than you actually cannot drive a car or or, or travel to uh, an extent to actually come to Aarhus so uh, not only you are a very special guest who is visited at the place, but you also couldn't, it, it was difficult for you to come. So yeah. that's why we are here. And the second thing is that um, when you mentioned that, that was what struck us with Marta when we came in, because you approached us, you started to talk to us, and we had the eye contact. We actually now have an eye contact. And I was like, please forgive me, I was like, is this... Yeah. the right person you yeah, know what yeah. is happening because you imagine this you know I'm visually impaired and it's serious you imagine someone who will walk with some sort of a support or yeah. aid yeah. or yeah be properly marked but you actually you you behave you look like a person who has a full vision yeah. and um, the fantastic thing that you did was to show us a video before the show of how you see the world and guys this video will be included on our website it's a YouTube video that Martin has created and we can exactly understand through your visu- visualization how how you see the world and that was quite eye-opening because mm. then I understand why I can have a normal contact with you, yeah. eye contact, yeah. and then again I can understand why you might not see just, you know, more than a piece of my face, right? Yeah, and, and also why I, I sometimes and very often perhaps ignore people that try to communicate me, with, mm-hmm. with me without any you know, words or if, they, if you just, you know, if I just uh, pull my vision just slightly to the left or to the right, then yeah. you disappear and then I can sometimes oversee you. So if you would kind of say hello with just, you know, your body language, I wouldn't notice it. You so, wouldn't notice. No. It, it exactly looks like you said. It looks like you are watching the world through the keyhole. Yeah. It is really like this. And then outside of the keyhole, there is just this white or a shimmery nothingness. And yeah. then there are things on the, again, appearing. So basically a huge part of the, of what, what is in front of you is not there yeah. for your eyes. So... Uh, but guys, really, I would recommend you to see this video because one thing is to describe it, another thing is to see it. Yeah. And we saw it and I was like, okay, now I, I get it. So yeah. And it's a pretty good video. It's yeah. A, yeah, it's a very good video. I was yeah. like, oh, wow, you did yeah. a very nice video. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what you do, actually, right? But it is funny that I'm, you know, I'm uh, practically, I, I think uh, the term is I'm legally blind. So I am mm-hmm. legally blind. But I'm a visual art director at Lego, so that's that's a pretty that's funny story. One of my first questions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> Tell us. Yeah, well, it works with uh, you know, normally as a visual art director, you would be um, most of the time creating visuals. But like you know, uh, being at Lego and Lego being the best place to work in the whole world, 
we kind of figured out how, where, where, where can I really make a change and make a difference? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's telling stories and coming up with stories and concepts. So we, um, we actually you know, changed the lane of my career into being more like a writer and a guy who comes up with ideas and attend and workshops. Mm-hmm. And then we said, okay, well, then the visual part of it, I'm, I need help for that. I can still, you can see that in the video, I can still see something, but but I can also oversee a lot of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So it works by you know working cleverly and having a great uh, employer who can yeah. see that well. Actually, we can still you know we have a lot of um, uh, good stuff coming from this blind guy, even though he shouldn't be working as a as an art director. Yeah, uh, can I ask you what is the regular uh, responsibilities of an art director like? If, if if you would have a full vision, what does it mean? Because I'm, I'm trying to guess, is it something with designing videos? Is it something with designing toys? What would be the normal tasks of the art director? Well, it would be, um, you know, uh, what an art director does is really to simplify a complex uh, message. So maybe mm-hmm. a, a client comes with a new invention and they mm-hmm. say, this is going to change the world. Then the art director, uh, together with a lot of people, uh, yeah. obviously, have to sort of find what is the essence of this thing. How can it change the world and how can I communicate it so clearly that you know, everyone can fall in love with this thing? So, so basically, it's, a, it's, a, it's the bridge between communicating complex messages and uh, combining that with visuals that sort of talks to your emotions and mm-hmm. your subconscious mind that you sort of okay I need this or you so it is a, it is translating uh, messages into visual communication basically yeah. so but you, so you can you can say that you can still do that without being able to see much but normally it would be also the direct, art director going through the whole process and seeing everything watching the colors and stuff like that that are very heavily vision based but but that's where I kind of okay have a partner and, uh, and we help each other so mm-hmm. okay, okay. I that sounds very so here at Lego an art director is coming up with the idea together with a lot of other mm-hmm. people but then he go, goes back and say okay well how does this universe look like is it a mm-hmm. is it a jungle-ish thing is it a new you know post-apocalyptic whatever and we don't yeah. have that much of that in, in Lego but you know you, you get the that's you get the idea <laughs> yeah. that could but, be a good idea uh, so, would you say that actually imagination would be the the imagination and the natural way of understanding how to translate this, as you said, concept, uh, concept, uh, complex, co- woo, complex concepts into more simple, speaking to everyone, either images or or messages. Yes. To, so basically, this ability to. Um, empathize yes. with, with people and imagine stuff exactly so actually eyes uh, on a eyes wouldn't be so much necessary for that right no i think you actually are proving that that it's not about the eye it's about some other skills yeah it's about putting yourself into your target group situation, understanding them, mm-hmm. and and realizing what the, what it, I think the, the most um, well what what is my starting point is always to find out what is the problem, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. what what how can we solve a problem 
for an, a, a target group out there. And then finding out, okay, this thing, this new invention, or for, for kids, it's like, it's, you know, developing their skills, their, their, they are the builders of tomorrow, so how can we encourage them to be that? Um, so that's also how finding out how does a six-year-old kid think, and then how could do I communicate to him and his parents? So that's a Lego thing, but, you know, in general, in the advertising business, it's sort of finding out what is the problem? How can we solve this problem for this audience and this target group? And then... Uh, they should instantly see, oh, I need this thing because then my life will be much better. And that's what we have to find out. Mm -hmm. How can we trigger these emotions? I do have a last question because I know that we will go through this process with you, uh, the steps of your journey. But uh, I, I cannot not ask it. Do you think that actually your condition in a way unlocked some others or other areas of imagination or creativity because of your impaired vision because maybe now you don't see through eyes that much but it gives you other ideas or you open other skills or maybe the fact that you see through a keyhole gives you new ideas i i have to ask that do you think that it, it well i don't think directly but i mm -hmm. think that being um forced into finding out how can I make the best out of my life with what I have, mm -hmm. have unlocked, you know, abilities in my mind that I didn't have before. And I don't, I don't think I would have ever gotten them if okay. I didn't stumble upon this, you know, big problem in my life. And uh, so I, I think um, being, uh, getting really interested in how the mind works, how we people work, how we, how we develop doing a childhood and up in our mid-ages and uh, I think that helped me understand why I was doing the things I did and why mm -hmm. it became a big problem for me to losing my vision which is a normal thing people yeah. would normally freak out if they knew that they were going to lose their vision but I think when when I learned about all these things I kind of got an extra sense into finding out okay what how can I reach people emotionally and, and what happens if I trigger these emotions and how can we, how can I work with that? So I actually, all the things that I've been studying for the last couple of years, I'm using that every day in my, in my job to, okay. um, to sort of figure out how to also to communicate here in, in Lego mm -hmm. and, and um, being able to come with an idea. How do I sell this idea to all my colleagues? Because yeah. that's, uh, that's basically what, uh, you know, ideas, we all get them. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's the energy that you put into your ideas that make the ideas come through at the at the last end because we can all get ideas, but it's uh, so so I think believing in in something and trusting in yourself makes me a better persuader and a better you know basically uh, selling my ideas and get them approved. So. And probably you are doing it in some other ways than only through PowerPoint which is now known to be a killer <laughs> of, <Yeah. laughs> of uh, efficient communication. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think it depends on how you use the yeah. PowerPoints. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure that, I mean, I imagine that here at Lego, you probably have some good ways of using Creative PowerPoint uses. as well. But yes. in the rest of the world, it's used as a, as a notepad, basically, mm. you know. You yeah. just dump some text on it or, God forbid, you use it as an Excel. So you actually show columns and graphs and pies yeah. and legends, font 8. And, yeah. well, I, do, I do talks. Uh, I, I have a two-hour talk 
and I use PowerPoint and I have a lot of slides, but they're very uh, visual. Yeah. And that's a funny thing because mm. uh, I'm losing that, uh, that ability, but it's very visual and, uh, and also using audio and, um, and video. And so I use mm -hmm. it creatively to get people you know, on board and uh, get them immersed into the story that I'm telling. But it's, it's the story that I'm telling. It's what I'm doing yeah. with my arms and with my body and with my voice and, and, and where I put pressure on my voice that, that, that is telling the story. So the, the PowerPoint is helping them to understand, okay, what is the, what is the key message that he's talking about right mm -hmm. now? Because that's the one-liner that's, uh, that's on, the, yeah. on the PowerPoint. I will just make one remark because I think that the recorder is picking up some weird sounds every now and again. There, is, there are trucks passing by the building. Uh, I think there is quite a big construction area around here. So just to our listeners, if you are hearing something weird every now and again, it's just a truck passing by the, yeah. um, the we, building. We know we have spoiled you with a very good audio quality, but we are in the field now, people. So, yeah, but I, I hope that this will, because the topic is absolutely fascinating. Uh, so I hope that our guest is... I think it's Emmett, you know, you know Emmett from the, from the Lego movie? He's working outside, he's a construction. Oh, it's a <laughs> Lego joke. <laughs> Lego joke. People yeah. who have seen Lego a Lego movie will know what yeah. Martin is talking about. Uh, Emmett, yeah. you know Emmett. I will have to Google that now. <laughs> we learn every day. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so we know now that you are an art director at Lego, and you've mentioned shortly that you also do some speeches. You are also a motivational speaker, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit, what is it that you are actually doing in your public speaking? Well, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a whole story in itself, and we can talk about it uh, for a long time. But the talks and the the lectures, uh, I, I don't, I never, I never really find the right word. I think I call it talks. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually part of an experiment that I gave myself and, and a challenge or someone other. I think we hear some music. Yeah. Is it a music? Something in or the someone playing bongo? Maybe. You, you never know, know at Lego. This Lego <laughs> company is kind of groovy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, but guys, you have a real life feed from Lego headquarters in Bilund, Denmark. Yeah, so. Yeah. For everyone all over the world, this is how it is. They play bongos and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, back to this, the, the, the talks. talks. Yeah, and uh, it was basically an, an uh, experiment that I gave myself because I was, two years ago, I, my life simply stopped after being sick on, a, on sick leave for six months, something mm -hmm. like that, and being, you know, in and out of sick leaves for a couple of years, actually. Um, I, and they were all connected with. Uh, well, uh, yes, they they, mm -hmm. they were, but I didn't know about it because I didn't know that I had this. You know, I, I knew I had the disease, but I didn't know that it was uh, progressed that much. Okay. Because that's a weird thing. Because like people losing their um, capacity to hear, they mm -hmm. they rarely know it themselves. It's like other people have to tell them. Hmm, why you, you are speaking why, so yeah, loud? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that was mm -hmm. the same thing for me. So. Um, when I learned that I was legally blind, I went to the, the ophthalmologist, the, the eye doctor, and he, he made the tests and he looked at me and said, Morten, you are legally blind? Did you know that? I said, no, I did not. Okay. And then it all came together. Okay, now I, I, I realized why I had been you know, de depressed and stressed out and burned out all the time. I didn't know that it was connected to my vision. So um, 
But you did notice the progression. Uh, yes, that's a weird thing. Could, but you kind of make up ways to compensate. That's mm-hmm. the thing. So I was just uh, constantly, you know, um, scanning everything I was looking at. So when I came into a room, I was just scanning it, and I kept scanning it with my eyes. Look at look. They were just, uh, you know. Um, everywhere mm-hmm. uh, at all times and that kind of puts your body under pressure because you normally do that when you're being attacked by a, exactly. a, a burglar or an animal or something like that but I was doing that constantly so I was putting an enormous stress on my body and also um, uh, being slower but having to be quicker all the time also put a lot of stress yeah. on my body And um, but I was so close getting retired and getting a, a flex job where when I suddenly realized that I, I, I hadn't made any choices myself. I was being pulled by my life, by helpful people who wanted to you know, give me the best support. But, uh, but I, I never stopped, up, stopped and looked at myself and said, what is it that I really want to do with my life? And that, you know, that moment, and it was a specific moment, and I talk about it in, uh, in, in my talks, where I suddenly had this voice in my head saying, what do you want with your life? That was a question I simply hadn't asked myself at any point. So I, uh, I was simply, I think an, a corridor opened in my mind to something that I didn't knew was there, sort of an extra, I, I don't know, it was, felt like an extra dimension of, of knowledge, deep knowledge that I hadn't mm-hmm. been aware of. Uh, and um, I started studying a lot about uh, different topics like uh, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, uh, physics, biology, a lot of different things. Um, and I, uh, I, I basically gave myself four challenges that need to, needed to show me that I am only as limited as I think that I am. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I stumbled upon a quote by the Buddha, and I didn't know it was the Buddha, and I'm not a Buddhist at a, you know, or anything. I just, yeah. uh, just uh, got a lot of knowledge. But... Um, we become what we think. That was mm-hmm. very, very important for me to you realize. You actually have this on your T-shirt. Yes, today. that's uh, what you think yeah. you become. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that. And uh, when I when I really understood that, I kind of okay, I shape my own life. I create my own destiny. I create my life out of what I think. And um, then I basically said, okay, you know, I I, I started learning how you. Uh, reprogram your subconscious mind. I learned that actually 95% of your average day, you are run by your automatic programs. Mm-hmm. 95%, I was blown away. So 5%, you are actually aware of what's going on. And in this world that we are living in with, you know, iPhones and uh, news stations and everything that can, you know, disrupt our focus, you know, the limited knowledge uh, awareness that we have i just realized that i had to be really good at being present at all times and being able to stop the subconscious mind from just reacting so so i said to myself in order to learn that i have to give myself maybe four months where i I reprogram my subconscious mind Mm -hmm. and i said to myself you have to give a talk in four months about what you are learning uh, right now because i knew that when i repeat new information again and again and again, it becomes sort of your way of being. So that was the reason why I'm giving talks. And it's actually taking the audience through that whole process. And uh, in the end, people will say, oh, 
I can actually do a lot of things on my own. I am not limited yeah. to what I thought I was. I, I can actually become what I want to be. So that was that is the the, the reason why I, I did it. And then there were some challenges in between. But uh, so are, your talks are they in Danish? Or? They are both in Danish. I, I've been doing one. I've been doing one in English here at Lego, and then I've been doing a lot of, uh, of them in Danish. But uh, I think I'm going to do one again here in in Lego in a in a month, something like that. And then it will be in English again. But I did all the you know I, originally I did it in English because I was going to give the first talk here at Lego, and I all the literature I've been reading are English. English books. So uh, so. It's no Danish English doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. so you have a very interesting story that you make two hours uh, speeches about, yeah. uh, two hours talks. So we of course are not going to be able to embrace that talk within our radio program. But I'm very very interested in this uh, thing that you have mentioned, like if a new corridor uh, opened in your subconsciousness, because of course the topic today is finding the essence of who you really are. Can you tell us a little bit more about mm. that part of you? Well, I guess what I realized, and I didn't realize it when it happened. Uh, I have I've been trying it a couple of times. I tried it when I was about twenty-four or twenty-five. I was uh, I was working in a, a, a cell phone store selling cell phones, <laughs> and we had a quiet moment. I was pretty bored, and I really didn't like what I was doing. And I had this moment where I suddenly realized that I was doing the wrong thing. And again, I, I remember that so clearly that it defined me after that. I was seeking knowledge afterwards to change my career and go back to school and you know educate myself as an uh, art director. And, and that was that moment. I remember when I changed a course in life. And I had that moment again at the municipality office where we were talking about flex jobs and stuff like that. And, and um, I think later I understood that what happened there was that I was being, I, I, for so many years, I tried to um, keep on holding on uh, um, frantically to an identity that I had mm -hmm. and I had built up for so many years. I was the senior art director at Lego. I was the good father. I was the responsible man. I was so many things. And I was trying so hard to keep that, you know, Violently, and and I think at the moment the 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 band just snapped and and I lost everything. I've got, I had the feeling of losing everything. I didn't care about anything. I said to myself, they can take it all. I don't care. Take my job. Take my life. I would. I was simply at a point where nothing mattered anymore, and I had a, a an amazing feeling of liberation. Like. Uh, I felt so free at that moment because I hadn't anything to you know, hold on to anymore, and it was a weird feeling because I hadn't felt that for felt that for many years. And and then I, uh, a couple of days after I was t thinking about it, it actually took some months uh, until I realized that we all carry this baggage of identities, like an onion. You know, and inside the onion, we have an essence. That is the real us. That is that's the real me. And I just realized that by saying goodbye to all the identities, I could you know I could create a new identity. It's like this world is a playground for us to, to just you know, play in. It's not we don't have to be the things we tell ourselves that we are. I can tell myself that I'm something else. And that was the experiment. I said, can I actually persuade the world and myself that I'm a speaker? 
I, 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 I was terrified of speaking to a large, uh, large audience or in front of many people. I did it a lot, but I was freaked out every time I had to do it. So I also said, how can that be? I, I simply gained an interest in knowing what was going on at all things, and I, and I, I stumbled upon a, a great quote from a, from an Indian uh, tantra master. In um, he was, his name was Tilopa, and he said that be open to everything, but attached to nothing. So I basically said to myself, I have to have this new beginner's mind, and look at the world in from a new perspective. So everything I thought I knew, I I don't know anything. I can learn and unlearn as, as I want to. So it's a massive, a massive th- th- I don't know, it, it was a life-changing thing that happened there at that uh, municipality uh, office, and it shaped everything from, from, from there on. So I stopped being a victim. I started okay, taking responsibility for my life, and I, I decided what I wanted to do. So, and I just uh, wrote a blog, uh, what do you call it? Uh, blog uh, post. post, yeah, mm-hmm. yesterday. Because uh, yesterday I actually handed in my book to uh, a publisher, mm-hmm. and um, there was also some of the goals that I put up myself for myself. I wanted to be a speaker, and it's not for the sake of being a speaker; it's simply to investigate or uh, um, finding out that if you put out a goal there. Can you do it? Can you can you go for it and then become that? And I, I proved that to myself. So now I basically have this feeling that well, I can do whatever I want if I just put the right amount of intention behind it and then focus on that goal and then enjoy every moment while going there. It's very important not to have the goal and you know, I the day that I reach the goal, I will be a happy person. You have to be happy in wow. what you are doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's a lot of things. I think for the, the last two years, I've been totally transformed into another person, you know, inside. From the outside, I still look like, you know, the old bald, <laughs> glass-wearing guy. So, so it's uh, interesting. Journey. So you are going to have a book soon published. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I wrote the book. It took me two years. And it's a long version of the talk and it, um, I just simply said to myself, okay, um, and there's a story in the book who also elaborates on this. But I, I finished it yesterday, and I've been, I think I have eight beta readers reading it right now and giving me feedback on it. And, um, and, as, and that's also something that I never would have imagined that I would be able to do a couple of years ago. Because mm-hmm. I would have... Imagine that I would have a lot of voices in my head saying, oh, you can't do it. You have to, you have to be schooled. You have to be educated in something before you can write a book. You know, it's very difficult to write a book. You know, it's, it's extremely difficult. I could, could imagine all the voices. But something that I also learned during this process was that these voices, they are basically my history whispering in my ears. So all the things that I have said to myself that I can and cannot do, are the voices in my head. So I basically, from being very um, much into meditation and mindfulness behavior, I sort of stopped up and listened to those voices. And I said, okay, who are you to say that? I can I can decide myself. So I basically just started writing a book and now it's done. <laughs> so let's see what happens then. And I know it will come out. 
Morten, I just have one question for our non-Danish uh, or non-Danish reality listeners. Uh, what is the flexi job? Can you explain? Our flex job is uh, is basically a part-time part job. Part-time. So it's this is where... what you thought your alternative is. It was, it yeah, was, you know, I think they you can get a flex job and you work half the time, mm-hmm. and then uh, the job, you know, the employer you have gets an, uh, you know, support from the, from the. The government. Too. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So you, so you can still work and and feel that you you, complementing or, or doing something uh, with your life, but but it doesn't have to be like a full. Uh, our you know thirty seven hour job so it's a it's a it's a it's a way not to totally get retired you you're mm-hmm. still on the in the market in the in the um, what can, working force <laughs> yeah. uh, but you get help and uh, and I, I I ended up having what you call a, um, a assistance arrangement with the calling commune mm-hmm. and it's basically them helping Lego supporting that I'm not. I'm working the same hours as everyone, but I'm, I don't have to do it in the pace that the others are doing. So, so they help, you know, with the visual uh, assignments where I have problems. It's okay. I can, you know, with good conscience, go to my uh, my boss and say, "Can I get some help from someone?" And without having a bad conscience about it, it's been arranged. So, so that's yeah, that's a great thing. So I'm basically working, f- you know, full time, but getting help with the tasks that are difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Denmark uh, is a great country when it comes to supporting citizens. <laughs> so definitely for people outside of Denmark, you can now get the perfect example how great it is to be living in this country. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a, and especially when I when working here at Lego, I, you know, the, the fantastic thing about Lego is that I'm meeting so many different people from different countries and... Um, uh, you had, uh, for instance, you had Fatima on on your show yes. earlier. We talked a lot, and it's so interesting to hear how she has been brought up and how she lives and mm-hmm. and the way she thinks. And uh, so sometimes it just expands your ability to to emphasize uh, or or be empathic about uh, mm-hmm. your different ways of living. And uh, and I'm very grateful for being a Dane and living in Denmark when a lot of people. In Denmark, actually, I'm not that grateful. There, you know, the, I, com- there's a lot of complaining about the this and that, and uh, I think that being, you know, around so many people from different places uh, on the earth has sort of made me very appreciative of where I am, and uh, that I really love to be here. Where yeah. I'm. okay, Martin, I have a couple of questions about that part of the essence of finding the essence of who you really are. So what would you tell the listeners if they want to start to find themselves, if they want to start to find the essence of who they really are? Where do they begin? Well, I think the first thing I, I realized when trying to find into the essence of myself was really what I talked about just a, a couple of moments ago about the voice in, in the head. Um, I think what I realized was that I had this voice who was telling me that I was this limited person, that I could only do this. Um, and when I really started paying attention to that, I was encouraged to go back and study more about meditation and mindfulness behavior. And there's so many uh, prejudice 
things, you know, opinions about meditation. You had this weird guy, like a Buddhist thing, or and and I also I think the, the television often portrays people like these, you know, weird people, you know, with crystals and uh, all that. But I basically uh, what what being mindful and meditating uh, taught me was to really pay attention to what is. Uh, thought, what are thoughts, what are feelings, and what is actually me when I try to look, look through all those things. And finding into that essence was basically when I was still for 40 minutes, maybe, and, and, and uh, my body was aching to not be because it wanted to, to play bubble wars on, on the iPhone <laughs> or watching a television show or, or, or listening to mus- music or whatever, what the mind wants. I, I uh, insisted on just being where I was, being still, and, and then a moment comes suddenly where you kind of get in touch with that essence and that inner, inner I don't know, it can be very spiritual when you talk about it, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. You basically just get, get the ability to see what are thoughts and what are, are the essence of yourself. It, it's very fluffy and it's very difficult to explain, but I think being a little more interested in, interested in mindfulness practice is definitely a way into getting that... Uh, you know that the the calmness and the you know the relaxed uh, state of being in crisis situations and the stressful situations. I today uh, before I sometimes stopped myself feeling kind of uh, uh, sick and um, not not very well, and I would uh, reside to a, a quiet place. And I one day I took my pulse, I measured my pulse, and it was like hundred and twenty. And I was still, I was just, you know, I was just walking around here in the compound and I realized I had a pulse that high and I didn't know why. And I realized that it was because I was all the time consumed by my thoughts, patterns, the things I had to do and the things I didn't do and, and uh, where I had to be and all that. And um, wh- uh, when that happens now, I, I have the ability to just stop that process and then get in contact with myself and my body and realizing that I'm actually in a quiet place, I'm actually good, I'm fine, you know, breathe quietly, and then all the things disappear, and you get in touch with that uh, essence of yourself. So it's a, I guess that's why a lot of famous people use this, uh, these methods. So I was, I was uh, studying um, for the book, I was, um, I was looking into how many people actually practice uh, meditation, and it was, there was uh, all these great actors doing adventures movies and and they were they were they said oh forget about doing this job without meditating uh, you know for for one hour a day or something like that so it's just a it's just a secret i guess that uh, you have to know about how to control the states and uh, there's also a lot of uh, brain uh, knowing how the brain works and when you're all psyched up what state are your brain in when you are freaked out or stressed and how can you get the brain waves down to a, a lower frequency to relax and stuff like that. So I, I basically learned the code to handle your body and your your mind. But, this, the, the, um, but about meditation, I do have to say that many people tried 
but they don't follow through with it mm. because I think it, of course, it always depends on a person. But for many people, it's just difficult mm. or they are not getting the results that they were expecting to get, yeah. right? So, for instance, when you are saying that you are getting in touch with your essence and someone is meditating and is like, I'm not getting in touch with any essence. What the hell? Um, I've heard somewhere there is no such a thing like a bad meditation. Everyone will get something out of it. But if you would like to encourage people who would like to try it, you know, because for someone it might be very difficult mm. to sit for 40 minutes yes. and just look for the essence. So what would be the meditation for dummies? What mm. would you, uh, as a first step, uh, is there any time frame you would... Uh, or approach or attitude towards meditation that you would recommend? Yeah, well, I have to say, first of all, I'm totally self-taught. So, I, I mm -hmm. you know, there are people educated in, in giving recommendations about this. But my personal experience with meditation was I simply, I think when I realized that not expecting anything is actually the goal for a good meditation. So if you go into a meditation and you think that this meditation has to put me out of my state of stress or exactly. you have to obtain this and when you come out I'm, I'm a better this or that. that that is putting pressure on yourself again so meditating is basically just giving yourself time to sit down and do nothing and and I think we've, we've forgotten that I think I remember when I was a kid when you were just sitting there looking out the window in the classes and the teacher would say Stop daydreaming, Morten. Like we've been, you know, we've been criticized for day daydreaming our entire life. But daydreaming is actually also kind of a meditation where you stop thinking. You just, you know, fall into that. You don't know what you were doing for five minutes. You basically wake up and say, "Whoa, what what happened?" And that's where your brain get into this alpha state. Mm -hmm. And um, and I guess I guess meditating is is simply to get your brain to a lower frequency. And that's when that um, essence peaks out because, you know, all the voices and all the noise gets, um, gets quiet and more quiet. And the longer it's even more quiet. And then that's where you actually just begin to feel good. And uh, I, I've tried, uh, I had some, some weird, amazing um, experiences with meditation where I almost felt like... like um, uh, hallucinating. It's, it's weird. It's very, very rare. I tried that, but it's just like, whoa, what happened there? And mm -hmm. I think that's when, when you really get deep inside. I think that also the body starts to release chemicals and uh, things that you, that, that you, 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 you block in your everyday stressful life. So, uh, so the, my recommendation is maybe to go on the internet, find something, read a little bit about it. And uh, demystify it because it's, it's it's not anything that is mystical at all. It's uh, basically being quiet, and learn that when you are really quiet, that's where you actually get in touch with a deeper uh, self, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you have told us quite a lot about changing your thoughts and changing your beliefs and we've had quite a lot of um, talks with other people around that in our radio but there is one thing that I would like to ask you about which uh, we haven't maybe talked so much before is this part about being present mm. you have mentioned is that you had to learn 
how to actually be present. Mm. And um, in one of your steps that you have sent to us, you wrote, now is really all there is. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. How do you experience that and how does it help you in finding yourself, that part of being present? I think, uh, and basically it's the teachings of Eckhart Tolle, if you mm. know him. Yeah. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic uh, teacher, spiritual. I don't know what he's, uh, he actually is. He, he, he tries not to call him anything, just other than a guy sitting on a chair talking to a, a crowd mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but what he talks about is, uh, is um, the, the presence in the now is actually where you really learn what life is like because most of the time we as people as humans have an amazing ability to anticipate what is going to happen in the future that's why we are here that's what mm. what made us the supreme being on this planet because we has have this ability but i think that we as people as a people have overused that ability to you know the Uh, above the limits of what is healthy. And uh, what I learned was that every time I find myself in a situation that is difficult, it's basically my thoughts about the situation that are difficult. It's not the actual situation, because very often, like here, we're sitting here quiet and, and having a nice conversation. Um, if I don't observe what is going on in my mind, I can easily be at a meeting in two hours trying to solve how to crack that meeting, how can I come up with a clever argument that, you know, sells this idea. And, and when, I, when I do that, I'm living in an anticipated future that might mm -hmm. not come true because the meeting could be called off uh, and then that future didn't come, to, come true. So being present and being aware of that now is all that there ever is makes you a better decision maker to create the future that you want to create because you make decisions based on what is happening right now instead of, you know, uh, thinking about what happened in the future. I have to not go there again. I have to try to... And it's okay to do that, but you have to also have a, an attention and awareness in what is going on right now because then you can avoid going into autopilot mode. Yeah. So instead of just going with what you normally would do because you... Uh, You try. I think the, the most people try to avoid uh, the emotion of fear. The fear is really something that drives our, you know, whole society. Uh, consequences of what will happen if I do this, and what will they think if I don't do this, and uh, and when you really get back to the moment right now, that all that fear kind of dissolves. I think. Um, I've been trying to do, I'm trying to really practice that in extreme situations. I remember when I had to do a talk for, I think, 170 people and was in my hometown. There was a lot of people uh, there. And uh, I remember, said, I said to myself, now try to really experience what happens just before going on stage. And I remember like 10 minutes before, I t my body started to freak out. My knees got all... Uh, Uh, jello, jello and yeah. uh, and uh, I, I started to to sweat and my hands were getting my palms were getting uh, wet and my heartbeat started to and I just I, 
that's where mindfulness is brilliant because I, I just basically stopped and looked at them. I said, what's going on? And I said, okay, it's, it's your body saying to you that it doesn't like what's going on. It knows that you have to stand in front of 170 people in a moment and all the things that can go wrong. So that's where you, if you realize that you are actually good right now, I was standing uh, in, the, in, the, in the room next to where I had to, to speak and I was okay. There was nothing wrong. Every, um, all the, and the anxiety and all the fear was simply only in my mind. It wasn't real. So I think that when, when you really know that every moment has to be lived in the now, it's, it gets more playful. It's because uh, there are a lot of great nows, but you tend to not see them because you're always worried about something or anticipating something to, to prevent you from you know, falling through or being stupid or not being accepted. And uh, I basically try to challenge that. I, I remember when I, I do, a, I have a YouTube channel where I, I put a lot of covers, you know, I sing a lot of uh, okay. covers. That's a weird thing. And I, I, I remember saying to myself, normally, the most, most people would probably not put that out on YouTube, displaying that for everyone. But I said, I had to have to be accustomed to the feeling of risking being a jerk or an idiot or making a fool out of myself. Because the, the, the better I am at, at accepting that people would probably not like me for what I'm saying or doing, the, the more liberated I am when I go on stage and just tell my story and tell what I want to. And not thinking too much about what would people think and, and you know, am I, am I doing it? Is it funny enough? And all those things. Uh, and, and I think that's all coming from realizing that when you live the most of your life in the now and take frequently visits into the future and back to the past, but you're mostly here and now, that's, that's when life gets interesting, I think. Yeah. And, um, Okay, well, we don't have that much time left uh, in our interview and we are now in You've Got Five Options in this season of uh, coming back uh, to the roots and one of the um, angles that we take on that is actually related to an apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So if apocalypse should happen and apocalypse could simply be there is no more technology available, I don't know, whatever, electricity is out and we can't charge our phones and use our laptops and everything, you know, is down. How would those skills that you have acquired in the last few years would have helped you to survive that situation? Uh, one of the skills that I have uh, cultivated, I guess, through the last couple of years is to always seek positive things in what you normally would say are negative things. Uh, that's simply something I had to do because I was facing a lot of negative things uh, every day. Uh, and I guess what I could maybe contribute to a world had to start all over maybe is the, the ability to direct or uh, inspire people to find what the good sides of, you know, there, 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 there's always a balance. That's, I think that's how the universe works, that it's in balance, it's us, who is creating the imbalance, and it's mostly in our minds that we are creating it. But I was simply, st I, I st when I had to go by bus here to work, 
and it took one and a half hour instead of the 30 minutes that I was used to when I was driving. I remember standing there in the, in the rain one morning with all the high school students and now this grown-up guy that was their neighbor was standing there in the rain waiting for the bus. I just felt so crappy. I, was, I, was, I felt that I was uh, diminished and I was uh, not the... I, I shouldn't be standing there. I felt like I was back in, in school and um, I, I, I basically I, I said to myself uh, one day, I'm, for 30 days I have to be positive. I have to try to look for positive things in the negative. And that's why, where I turned that bus drive into something positive because I had one and a half hour where I could study, where I could read, where I could do good things. So I think what I could, I could bring into the uh, apocalyptic world uh, is that ability maybe to look for the good things instead of always focusing on the bad things. So basically looking for a silver lining. Yeah, yes. It's, um, it, I think it's a, because, you know, we, we had couple of other guests that we asked the same question and uh, you know we had a guy who is a biologist yeah so of course he said if he could get his lab back he would try to you know do something uh, but uh, I think that in those times when um, if we imagine a situation that we basically don't re- we go back to the stone age um, I think the empathic skills the soft skills are actually the ones that make us survive or a mental strength. And I, I cannot imagine anything more powerful than being able to be positive. Of course, you know, some people will say, you are crazy, you mm. know, it's like positive. Are you a hippie or are you on something? Uh, yeah. But I think it's, um, it's more about uh, trying to look for positive, in, not in this hippie way that I don't care, everything is pink, acknowledging what is happening and understanding um, the limitations but being able to see but you know what this and this yeah so uh, and I, I and I think throughout this conversation I have noticed you were saying a couple of times that you know because people have this image of meditation uh, you know I think people think something like you know a hippie person on LSD uh, looking at some weird uh, images or whatever, or some exactly people with crystals, um, when this is actually a practice of just training the mind and mm. mindfulness, right? Exactly. And I think that also people who are um, looking for silver linings sometimes are also like, yeah, yeah, positive in everything. Let's just cut the crap. So um, it's it's an interesting thing because you sound you sound settled, you know, you don't sound like this over hippie, weird person that comes here to enlighten us, you actually, there is a lot of common sense and grounding in what you are saying. Mm. So I I really hope that it convinced our listeners to look into things like meditation, and to actually, you know, um, explore this, because it's not just for the groovy, weird people, it's actually for everyone. Yeah. And it's basically finding the code. I, I, I all, all often think about it. It's like you get this body, you get born into this world. When you go out and buy a video recorder or something like you have a huge manual of 500 pages. You can go through it and you can learn how it works. But we don't have a manual for being people. And I think uh, there are actually a lot of things that you can learn how to control is a is a 
is maybe a negative word, but maybe be more responsible for your actions by knowing how your mind works and how the body works and what happens when you get in different states of being. So I, I think, and I must say that, you know, Wolverine, the Hugh, Hugh Jackman from the X-Men movies, he's a meditator and he said, <laughs> you know, being what he is is due to being able to get into... He's, I think he t- said, sometimes I take a swim into the... In the in the big ocean of uh, of zero or something like that, it, it's very uh, funny that he's so masculine and he's just a Wolverine guy, but he's meditating. So I think it's a, it's a getting past that um, what you call prejudice mind of what mindfulness is uh, is is a key thing, and then it becomes it becomes a, it's basically science if you want you, you can you can make it to whatever whatever you want there's something there's there's something about the human nature to learn by being still for a moment then uh, and that code that manual for humans is there a couple of um, chapters from that manual in your new book i think uh, you uh, the, the book is div- is uh, divided into three sections and the first is sort of my story and all the problems and you get an insight the movie uh, basically in a hundred pages or something like that uh, and then there is a chapter who is all about going from hopelessness street to possibility road and that is the second part of the book and that's all the things that I'm talking about here but also a lot of uh, brain science uh, not a scientist at all but just read a lot of things and what I'm doing every day is to convey uh, complicated materials that is simply to understand, simple to understand. I did the same in the book. All the knowledge that I have, I tried to to write it so everyone would know about it. And then the second part of the book is how do you use it in your life? How do you implement it? So it's not just a fancy idea or a philosophy. How do you actually make it into something that you can do every day? And um, so it, it uh, I talk about it in the book, and it and we can talk about it for days. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we do not have that opportunity, unfortunately, <laughs> as we are arriving uh, to the end of our uh, show. But I definitely will get that book uh, if it's in, in English. English. It will. Everything. It you will know, come I, I, in both it must. It must. I, of course, I'll have to, uh, or I will do it myself, translate it. <laughs> so okay. The plan is that it will be. A, it has to be an audio book because I have a lot of people waiting for the book that I have visually impaired. Of course. To look forward for it and. Uh, so it has to be, a, and I actually did right now a whole um, read-through of the book for the ones who had to test it, mm-hmm. also to test, test it myself to listen to the book, how does it actually sound. So uh, of course it has to be an audiobook, and it has to be uh, in English also. Well, I will read it even if it's in Danish, because maybe I don't speak much Danish, but I read Danish. So um, that I will do for sure. I, I actually have... Two more questions mm-hmm. for you that I really wanted to ask you. My number one question I have, um, you mentioned a couple of times the brain waves, mm-hmm. alpha, and then probably there is a beta because beta, I know gamma, something about the Greek yeah. alphabet, so <laughs> I assume there is a beta, right? Mm. Um, and you mentioned about this uh, brain waves when we are stressed, you mentioned about the brain waves uh, at the meditation. I assume you know something about this concept. Yeah. Could you please explain us, because I read about it, mm-hmm. and it's actually very interesting, yeah. but you made the research about it. Yes. So what are the beneficial uh, states of our brain? How can we put ourselves in those states, and, and what does it mean? Yeah. Well, 
I think first I will start with the problem because that's okay. you know how mm -hmm. how I think. So the problem was that I was told that I should do uh, meditation and and mindfulness practice. And well, I well, can I ask you who told you that? There, I I visited some coaches, stress coaches, mm -hmm. and because okay. uh, we didn't knew why I was stressed out. It came later that okay, I can see that maybe that's a good reason for being stressed out. <laughs> so uh, so I was actually able to hide the fact that I couldn't see for so many you know in front of so many people. They didn't uh, they didn't see it, and I was talking a little bit about it, but they maybe thought okay. Let's handle one thing at a time. You're stressed. Let's deal with that, and then you know. But it was it was all connected. Um, but they what they all were all saying that I, you have to you know practice mindfulness, and and that was all weird in the beginning. I remember sitting there and I was had to focus on my toe and then my knee, and it was ah, why should I do it? It's a it's a, it's a waste of my time. And 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 I also learned I couldn't do it. I was I was freaking out when I was sitting still. And had to focus in inside, and then I started researching, and then I learned about the brain waves, and there it all made sense all of a sudden. Because we have these different states. It's, when you put an EEG on your head, it's like this this uh, device with a lot of uh, wires, and it, it measures the electricity uh, in your brain. Because right? yes, because mm -hmm. when you do something, your brain sends out a signal and and this device can actually uh, uh, make a curve on a piece of paper and you can see okay how how is the how is the brain wave so is that the device that uh, show uh, shows us if the person is cut for big death like on this um, i'm not i'm not sure actually because it's an eeg it was a i think it was a german or an austrian guy back in in the 50s or whatever i'm not sure about that but he invented okay. this thing but but the the important thing about it was that I learned that when you want to meditate and and be quiet, if your brain is in what you call high beta, it's high beta. Okay. High beta. Maybe I'll start from the beginning. We have we have when we are born, we have what we call delta mm -hmm. brain waves. That's sleeping. That's deep sleep, and that's why a baby, an infant, sleeps all the time. That's only delta brain waves there. Then we uh, develop, the brain develops, and then we develop uh, what we call theta brain waves. And that's what we have until we are about seven years old. We go, we go from uh, delta to theta, and theta is also the brain waves you measure when you put people into hypnosis. So when you hypnotize people, you actually see they have theta waves. And that's also where we have this uh, REM state. Of, of sleeping where you know the rapid eye movements and the, something is going going on there's actually awareness there but it's in a sleepy you know it's before the waking state then we have what we call alpha and alpha is the uh, sort of the border between sleeping and the waking it's the quiet moment where you just you know lose yourself and you just look out the window nothing really happens and you're very calm and that's a good place we 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 go there every day without knowing. Some moments we have these quiet moments, and then then the brain goes down in alpha. And when we are about uh, seven to ten years old, the brain develops beta waves, and that's simply higher frequency. It's the the, the wave on the on the sheet of paper is faster, simply, and that's when we have 
consciousness, uh, and uh, no, I should say uh, awareness. That's where we we get uh, the ability to have a vision or an idea or an intention or we want something. That's when we that's in beta wave um, mode. But when we sometimes get uh, uh, surprised by uh, a burglar or an animal or the, the caveman he saw a bear, then the brain goes into high beta. That's you know that moment where you have to do something or you die. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that a lot of people are in high beta a lot of the time. So that's very stressful for your body because when you when your brain is in that state, you are also in what you call uh, flight. Uh, or fight. Fright. Or yeah, exactly. And then the body just stops evolving because it has to maintain um, the ability to fight or you protect. know protect. Yes. Um, and what I learned that when you try to meditate and your brain is in high beta, you cannot go from high beta to alpha. You have to go down the brain waves. The only people who can do it are uh, Buddhist monks or. Uh, uh, samurai warriors, they have the ability to go from the brain waves that we call gamma, and that's above, that's very high, that's weird, uh, still a little bit of a puzzle for, for scientists, because that's a, a whole, whole brain state, you call it. Gamma is when you sort of get an insight, and I think that's what I experienced when I suddenly saw, okay, I, have, I know what I have to do, and then it's, it's very short, it's like, oh, there it was, and now it's gone again. And that's when the whole brain gets, you know, it works together and not just in in parts. So, so it's like some sort of a, can I call it an enlightenment state? It can, that's what you call that state also, the uh, enlightenment, enlightened state of, of, of brain, brain activity. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, but what I, what, I, what I learned from, you know, getting this insight when, was uh, I was trying to meditate, but I couldn't do it. I was simply stressed all the time. And then I learned uh, you, you cannot go from there to an alpha state. You have to do something to get you calm. And that's when uh, activating sense perception is really good. So what I would do, I would just simply go out in the garden with uh, no socks and no just barefooted mm-hmm. in the grass, in the wet grass, or simply to get uh, the mind to relax by having something to, you know, concentrate on that is going on in your, in your environment instead of your inner mental mm-hmm. picture that you have, and then what happens is that the mind cannot concentrate on thinking about scary scenarios in the future, and be aware of what's going on, uh, in uh, you know the sense perception. So the focus will shift to your body automatically because you're stimulating it, and then. The, you go down in slower beta waves, uh, in, into a normal state, and then you can you, you combine that with the breathing techniques. You take deep breath, and then the body gets even more calm, and then you can start meditating. And that was important because people were just saying to me, "But you have to you have to go into meditation. You have to meditate and be mindful, and then everything will be fixed." But they didn't tell me about that. You you know you have to calm yourself down and get in that state. So um, that's why I think, and uh, that's why I also have a, a huge part of the book talking about this, because uh, I think it's a good thing that I had to, to teach myself this, because then they, you know, I can talk about it very uh, uh, elaborate. But well, that sort of um, 
made me realize that when it's not working, maybe it's because I have to be in a different state. It's not working because my body is psyched up right now, or I'm stressed, uh, and then it doesn't work. I have to do something before going into the meditative uh, state. Yeah, it actually makes perfect sense um, that uh, for some people it might be because I think some people are either naturally not in this high beta, they are maybe in some medium beta, and they are able to meditate no matter what the hour of the day or situation is. Uh, but uh, I have to say that most of people who are advising your adventure with meditation would say do it straight away after you wake up or before you go to sleep. So actually when you are naturally mm -hmm. going into those other yes. brainwave activities and now it makes actually perfect sense mm -hmm. why it's it should be the morning just after you wake up or the evening. The other interesting thing you mentioned was this um, going barefoot on the grass. It's actually, I think it's a technique called grounding mm -hmm. when you are actually, but you have to take your shoes, the socks off and just walk on a, either a grass or a, uh, just a soil yeah. or, or, or a sand. So yeah. you are actually connecting somehow to, yeah. uh, to, to earth. So it's, it's interesting because I can see that you uh, are touching a lot of different um, uh, theories mm. uh, and techniques and, and things that people are talking about. And you are probably making a holistic uh, approach from yeah. it. And I also, you know, being mindful of people say, yeah, but but then I have to sit down for 20 minutes. Uh, uh, I, I learned that I actually have to take that practice out in the real world. So I'm, I'm reminding myself a lot of times during the day that I have to be present when, for instance, getting a cup of coffee. Now I decide that this, this mission getting coffee is going to be a mindfulness uh, practice. So mm -hmm. instead of doing what we normally would do, we would get an, uh, we would get an impulse that say, hmm, I would like coffee. That's where you get aware of something and then you get back into the, the, the thinking. Yeah. And then you start, you know, on your way into the kitchen, you think, still think about the task you are doing or the presentation you're doing or whatever. But then instead of doing that, I say this moment, it's maybe, maybe it's three or four minutes, I will do it with 100% presence. So I noticed how far it is to the, you know, out to the kitchen. I get out there, I look around, I see the coffee machine. I, I look at the coffee machine, how does it really look? I never really looked at it, maybe. And then uh, I, I, where are the cups? They're there. I feel the cup. Oh, it's actually cold. It's like smooth. It's, uh, it's also a little heavy. And then I put it in the coffee vending machine and I push the button. I, I notice that the button is sort of, it has a little click. I never noticed that before. And when I click that thing up in the top, I can see all the, the coffee beans start moving and it's grinding and I notice that there's a sound there it makes a sound and there's also a little it disappears it's a funny thing now there's a little uh, crater in the coffee pile and then it goes down and then all of a sudden there's a there's steam it, you know you get the you get yeah. the idea it's like turning everyday tasks into mindful presence moments that's so so when i i'm finished i'm getting the cup of coffee i go back i got myself a four minute break from my thinking world and that's a reboot of the system the problems you had four minutes ago they are they are vanished yeah, they you are get a there. fresh perspective you sort of rebooted the system say what i don't even 
what was I psyched about? What, what was the problem? I, problem? I don't remember. So I, now I can work without all the accumulated you know, uh, worries and uh, thinking processes. So, so that's how I think that mindfulness and meditation can be an everyday practice. Mm-hmm. Just have to remind yourself about it, because we normally wouldn't do that. We will go on our autopilot the whole day and do what we do all the time, park the same places, do the same thing, you know, brushing teeth, teeth with your left hand is a good exercise also, because you cannot do it without being aware about it, because you cannot, it's not like it used to be, it's like you have to, it's a left hand, it doesn't coordinate with your, with, with your autopilot, you have to do it consciously, and that's just, you know, what you can do that with every small, you know, little things in, in the, in during the day, and that makes you aware of all the impulses that you get that makes your autopilot go on, you know, auto mode. You can actually stop that and say, oh, I actually don't want this. I actually decided yesterday that I would like to do this, so now I reminded myself about it. And every time I, I get these insights, I pat myself on the shoulder and say, good, good work, my Morten. <laughs> so I have this inner voice saying, yeah, you did it again. So uh, yeah. I was uh, laughing because actually, Marta, that's a... Uh one of your examples, you know, the the brushing the teeth with the left hand. Mm. Yeah, but I have this uh, for creating new neural pathways. Mm. I've learned that um, if you want to create a new belief in yourself, it's of course you can do by repeating positive statements, mm-hmm. but I don't find them very efficient of just repeating. I think if you add on experience, it's much more, you know, efficient and mm. much more effective. So I've learned this technique that you can try if you want to, for example, become a public speaker or you want to write a book, but it's completely like, ah, it's Mm. impossible. Your brain is, you know, freaking out to try to do it. Imagine yourself becoming a public speaker, standing on the stage or something and brushing your teeth with the left hand, because then your brain is doing something that knows it's more or less possible. Okay, maybe it's difficult, but it is possible. It knows it can brush the teeth, but it is more challenging. So it's kind of like creating a new neural pathway mm. so that it's kind of connecting this. Okay, maybe right now becoming a public speaker for me is impossible, but if I connect it with an experience that is challenging, yet yeah. I am capable of doing yeah. it, then it's starting to create that new neural pathway towards that completely yeah. new goal that maybe seemed quite difficult to... Yeah, that's uh, an, an, an interesting. I think it's somewhat the same that I'm, that I'm doing. I'm, 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 I've definitely been curious about uh, creating new uh, neural passes, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and how, and, and, but that comes, also comes back to how to change your habits. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and it is actually, uh, it's almost a programmatic approach to how to teach yourself new things. It, it, it takes a lot of decision and um, resilience in, in, a, in a period of time, but then all of a sudden it becomes natural. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think that's a, that, that are good examples. I also use these techniques when I have to remember something. If I have to remember a number, I remember that we stopped the movie we were seeing yesterday at 117 minutes in the movie because I was thinking that there was a guy looking like he was very uh, he was apologetic 
And I said to him, he have 117 excuses right now in his mind. <laughs> and that, in that way, I learned that we were at 117 minutes in the movie. And I do that yeah. constantly. You have to put an emotion or an image to what you want to, believe, uh, to remember. Because the, the memory doesn't work. It, it doesn't remember things uh, in the short-term memory unless you have something to connect it to a, a feeling or a body sensation. Or That's also why we can remember songs from the 80s and recite them even though we haven't heard them for like 20 years oh now. yes <laughs> yes there was a moment there was this uh, thing there was this uh, smell there was this something yeah. that brings it back yeah, exactly uh, my final question for today is and this is a question i am stealing from another podcast that i'm listening sometimes uh, it's a melissa ambrosini podcast uh, she is always asking her guests if they could have a power and be able to put on a reading list one book for all high schoolers in the world, what book would they choose? Except of their own book if they wrote one. Um, and I have never asked this question because uh, we never had a guest that was talking so much about you know reading and researching. So I'm absolutely curious what would your answer be. And if you have a problem with choosing one book, then um, you, you can choose three. But what do you think is the book that every high schooler in the world should read? Uh, okay, okay. Well, uh, I have two books. Okay. But they are challenging in a way, I think. You have to be at a certain state in your life before you're able to read these books and understand them. I think they, will they, will, they won't make sense for a lot of people and they will make sense for some people. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I talked about the, the author, it's uh, Eckhart Tolle. It's uh, the book called Power of the Now. Mm-hmm. And that is one book. That was um, there is actually a fun story. Do we have time? To, to, there is a fun story. Actually, Fatima, my colleague, she came to me. Uh, it was a couple of years ago, and she had that book. And she said, "Morton, I know you are, you know, through, through a process right now. I think you should read this book. It was some. It was a book she had received from a friend back in India, and he had a, made a little." Uh, he, he had, had a little quote in there but, and I took the book and I was so involved in researching my own stuff so I basically said thank you Fatima and I put it on the shelf yeah. and then it, I think three or four months went by and one day I came to a book that I needed to listen to and it was an important book and I started reading it it was mind babbling and it makes, made so much sense and then I had this weird feeling I, I, I thought that I had seen that guy before or I heard about it and then I went went into the my office and I looked at the book and it was that book, yeah. that so, so I learned from that. Sometimes we get signs, we get things, things appear, but we are not ready to receive them. And that's one. That was this one funny uh, anecdote uh, on that. So so the power of now from Ecatola. Mm-hmm. And then there's another guy and he's maybe he might be considered controversial, I think, but I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> his his name is Joe Dispenza. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he wrote a book that made really sense to me, and that's that's where I have a lot of the knowledge about the brain. I I, I cross examined things, so I also read books from regular scientists. Uh, yes. There's a Danish author called Peter Lundmassen. He's a he's a neuroscientist, uh, 
and, and I can actually see they are pretty uh, agreeing, but Jordan Penta is bridging it to spirituality. So there's a book, he, it's called uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it, it has a lot about uh, spirituality and, and meditation, but he, he combines it with neuroscience and uh, biology and stuff like that. So these two books are, are books that I've been, uh, The Power of Now I've been, been reading, I think I've read it seven times. And, uh, wow. Because you can still read it, and, and, and when you evolve and read it again, oh, there, I, now I understand that part. I read that part and got that out of it, but now I get something else out of it. So it's a, it's a book that is amazing. And you could, when you read it and read the, the what is it called, the, the, uh, there's always someone writing <clears throat> a foreword in Danish. The, the, you know, he, he's recommending, mm-hmm. making a statement about the, the preface, book. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you can see that it has uh, had a lot of impact on people. But Joe Dispenza is, uh, uh, I think uh, that book is, I think he might be considered a little, yeah, not a, a real scientist by real scientists. He would be like, yeah, but he's assuming too much and he's making, you know, things that are not, you cannot totally, you know, co- or, or prove it. Uh, yeah. and, and all, so, so it becomes like pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, on a just just reading it and, and, and I got a lot of important things out of it and I don't care about the science. Or is it valid or whatever? It makes sense to me. And and um, that's the most important thing for me. So th- those two books, I get, I would I would say, are really important. Out of the thirty-two books I read in approximately eight months or something like that. So I'm, okay. Yeah, I had a lot of time in the bus. So yeah. so there is something really good turning out of uh, having to come back to your uh, childhood roots. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, transportation roots. Yes. Okay. So now. We are officially closing the interview. Thanks a lot. And I am really happy, Anna, that you asked those questions about the brainwaves. I think that was very educative. And I think for the skeptical people or people who have tried and it didn't work for them, I think this uh, example of grounding yourself, Mm -hmm. I think, well, first of all, explanation, the scientific explanation behind the brainwaves and then grounding yourself in order to help yourself go from this high beta Uh, waves into lower level Mm -hmm. beta and then into alpha I think that could be very useful for many Mm -hmm. people so thank you for that and that both books I have heard about them I have not yet read them Mm -hmm. but uh, I think this is one of those uh, those books where you just you just it just comes to you and you get it and then you completely uh, yeah swallow it Mm. and you are like whoa where has that been all my life so I'm sure that uh, this uh, this is still to come so thank you Martin thank Thank you you. very much it was a pleasure to have you it was a pleasure to interview you it was a pleasure being part of it bye bye You are listening to You've Got 5 Options radio show, where we hopefully convinced you that 5 indeed is a magic number. To catch up with our previous programs, apply to be our guest, send us your life challenge, or just to see how do we really look like, visit our website, the5options.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode 
and that you will come for more. That's all, folks!